And welcome to another presidential edition of Business Buzz here on KKXX. You're listening to AM 930, FM 104.5, or North Chico's 103.9. And today we are talking about President Trump's recent speech on his plans for tax reform. We're going to carry the majority of that speech. And we're going to go into some other topics as well, but we're going to begin with President Donald Trump and how he plans to reform America's tax code and what that will mean for business owners, not only here in the North State, but all over the country. And without any more delay, here is President Trump explaining his tax plan here on KKXX and Business Buzz. Thank you very much. You just want massive tax cuts. That's what you want. That's the only reason you're going so wild. But it's wonderful to be back in the great state of Indiana. What a place. I want to thank Senator Todd Young, Senator Joe Donnelly, Representative Jackie Walorski, Representative Susan Brooks, and Representative Mike Messer for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for being here. Appreciate it. I also want to thank members of my economic team, Secretary Steven Mnuchin and Director Gary Cohn for joining us as well. We appreciate it. Let me begin by saying that our hearts and prayers go out to the people of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands who are suffering in the wake of yet another catastrophic hurricane. I mean, their island was virtually destroyed. Federal agencies are working closely with local partners to help these communities get back on their feet as soon as possible. Texas, Florida, Louisiana are doing great, and the recovery process is happening very, very quickly. I will be going down to Puerto Rico next week to get an on-the-ground briefing about the disaster recovery and to see all of our great first responders and to meet a lot of the people who are so affected by these storms. We are with you now, I tell them, and we will be there every step of the way until this job is done. It is truly catastrophic what happened in Puerto Rico. And massive amounts of water, food, and supplies, by the way, are being delivered on an hourly basis. It's, uh, it's something that nobody's ever seen before from this country, I can tell you that. And uh, I'm very proud of all of the folks that have worked so hard in FEMA, all of our first responders, all of our police that have gone to the island because their police force has been so badly affected. And many of their policemen, in fact, most of the police people have lost their homes and it's been a tough go, but we are, we're gonna get it back. Before we go on to discuss the largest tax cut in our country's history. I also want to provide a brief update on health care. We have the votes on Graham Cassidy, but with the rules of reconciliation, we're up against a deadline of Friday, two days. That's just two days. And yes vote, Senator. We have a wonderful Senator, great, great Senator, who is a yes vote, but he's home recovering from a pretty tough situation. And uh, with so many great features, including all of the block granting, the money to the states, et cetera, et cetera, our health care plan is really going to be something excellent. It's going to be better managed for the people that it serves. Having local health care representatives is far better than having health care managed from Washington, D.C. Not even a contact. And many, many governors, as you also see, have agreed with us and approved it and really look forward to running it properly. But again, because the reconciliation window is about to close, we have to wait a few months until it reopens before we take a vote. So we're getting all of the good signs from Alaska and the others to repeal and replace Obamacare. And I was hoping this would be put on my desk right after we won the election and I'd come in and sign, but it didn't work that way. And a couple of people that I won't say anything. <laughs> but early next year, when reconciliation kicks back in, 
In any event, long before the November election, we're going to have a vote, and we're going to be able to get that through. And I think we'll actually get it through very easily, and the time makes it easier. But speaking of reconciliation, the Republican Senate needs to get rid of the filibuster rule, which is blocking so many great legislative reforms the American people badly want and deserve. By the way, the Democrats, if they had the opportunity, which hopefully they won't for many, many years, they would get rid of it on day one. And most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're here today in Indiana to announce our framework to deliver historic tax relief to the American people. This is a once-in-a-generation opportunity, and I guess it's probably something I could say that I'm very good at. I've been waiting for this for a long time. We're going to cut taxes for the middle class, make the tax code simpler and more fair for everyday Americans, and we are going to bring back the jobs and wealth that have left our country, and most people thought left our country for good. We want tax reform that is pro-growth, pro-jobs, pro-worker, pro-family, and, yes, tax reform that is pro-American. It's time to take care of our people, to rebuild our nation, and to fight for our great American workers. Indiana is a tremendous example of the prosperity that is unleashed when we cut taxes and set free the dreams of our citizens. This state has claimed a powerful competitive edge built on low taxes and less regulation. And are we cutting regulation? And businesses all across the country have taken notice. In recent years, Indiana has welcomed dozens of companies fleeing high taxes and high-tax states. Thousands of new jobs and massive capital investment have followed, meaning a better quality of life for the people of Indiana. All of this is possible because the people of this state have made a decision. They chose to make Indiana competitive again. They chose, and their choice was so important, it included electing a governor who you may have heard of, who signed the largest income tax cut in the state's history, our very, very terrific person and terrific Vice President, Mike Pence. It's time for Washington to learn from the wisdom of Indiana. We need Washington to promote American jobs instead of obstructing them. That is what I've been working to achieve every day since I took office. That is what I talked about on the campaign trail. Already, we're seeing the results of an economic policy that finally puts America first. Unemployment is at a 16-year low. Unemployment for African Americans is near its lowest point since the turn of the millennium. It's really a fantastic thing to see. Wages are rising. Optimism among manufacturers has reached all-time highs. GDP growth last quarter reached 3 percent, way ahead of schedule. Nobody thought that was going to happen for a long time. And this quarter, I believe, would have been better, but the hurricanes will have an impact. But other than that, 
it would have been, in my opinion, even better. Your government is working for you once again, not for the donors, not the special interests, but the hardworking, taxpaying citizens of our country. America is back on the right track, and I see so many red hats. Make America great again. That's what we're doing. Make America great again. But our country and our economy cannot take off like they should unless we dramatically reform America's outdated, complex, and extremely burdensome tax code. It's a relic. Got to change it. We have to compete, compete with other countries. The current tax system is a colossal barrier standing in the way of America's economic comeback because it can be far greater than it's ever been. But we're going to remove that barrier to create the tax system that our people finally, finally, finally and want and deserve. For several months, my administration has been working closely with Congress to develop a framework for tax reform. Over the next few months, the House and Senate will build on this framework and produce legislation that will deliver more jobs, higher pay, and lower taxes for middle-class families, for the working man and woman, and for businesses of all sizes. I look forward — thank you. I look forward to working with Congress to deliver these historic tax cuts and reforms to the American people. These tax cuts are significant. There's never been tax cuts like what we're talking about. Our framework is based on four key ideas. First, we will cut taxes for the everyday, hardworking Americans, the people that work so long, so hard, and they've been forgotten. But they're not forgotten anymore. I think we proved that on November 8th. <laughs> Under this framework, the first $12,000 of income earned by a single individual will be tax-free. <laughs> and a married couple won't pay a dime in taxes on their first $24,000 of income. So a married couple, up to $24,000, can spend their money on their family, on their children, on what they have to do. So much better. In other words, more income for more people will be taxed at a rate of zero. At this 0% rate, Taxable income will be subject to just three tax rates of 12 percent, 25 percent, and 35 percent. Jonathan Blanton and his wife, Jamie, from Greentown, are here with us today. Where are they? Oh, hello, Jonathan. How are you? Jonathan does industrial janitorial work, and Jamie works at an auto company. Together, they're raising four beautiful children, and last year, they earned less than $90,000. Under our tax plan, they would have saved more than $1,000 and could be substantially more, and that's just on federal taxes. So they would have saved at least $1,000. Middle-income families will save even more money with an increased child tax credit for children under the age of 17 which so many families have been calling for. We will eliminate the marriage penalty in the existing credit and expand eligibility to include even more middle-income families. Greatly expanded. We're also expanding the child tax credit because we believe the most important investment our country can make is in our children. And this is just one more critical way that we're targeting relief to working families. In addition, under our framework, those caring for the elderly loved, and we love these people, 
but we're caring and we take such care of the elderly and other adult dependents will receive financial relief in the form of a $500 tax credit. We're doing everything we can to reduce the tax burden on you and your family. By eliminating tax breaks and loopholes, we will ensure that the benefits are focused on the middle class, the working men and women, not the highest income earners. Our framework includes our explicit commitment that tax reform will protect low-income and middle-income households, not the wealthy and well-connected. They can call me all they want. It's not going to help. I'm doing the right thing. And it's not good for me, believe me. But what is good for me, not only as president and legacy, what is good for me is if everything takes off like a rocket ship, like it should have for 20 years. That's good for me. That's good for everyone. And that's what I think is going to happen. And a lot of very wealthy people feel the same way, believe me. In fact, we are eliminating most itemized deductions that primarily benefit the wealthiest taxpayers. We have also given Congress the flexibility to add an additional top rate on the very highest income earners to provide even more tax relief for working people. Second, our framework will make the tax code simple, fair, and easy to understand, finally. Americans waste money. <laughs> Americans waste so much money. Billions and billions of dollars and many hours each year to comply with our ridiculously complex tax code. More than 90% of Americans use assistance to prepare their taxes. Under our framework, the vast majority of families will be able to file their taxes on a single sheet of paper. We are also repealing the Alternative Minimum Tax, or AMT. About time. The AMT is actually a shadow tax system that requires many people to calculate their taxes two different ways and pay the higher of the two amounts. You're all familiar with it. Under our framework, the AMT will make even less sense because we are repealing many of the special interest tax breaks that it was designed to deal with. We are making our taxes simple again. We are simplifying our tax system. To protect millions of small businesses and the American farmer, we are finally ending the crushing, the horrible, the unfair estate tax, or as it is often referred to, the death tax. That means, especially for all of you with small businesses that are really tremendous businesses, you'll be able to leave them to your family, and your family won't have to run out and do a fire sale to try and get the money to pay the tax, lose the business, ends up going out of business. All of those jobs are lost. The farmers, in particular, are affected. They have wonderful farms, but they can't pay the tax, so they have to sell the farm. The people that buy it don't run it with love. They can't run it the same way, and it goes out. So that death tax is a disaster for this country and a disaster for so many small businesses and farmers, and we're getting rid of it. Now, if you don't like your family, it won't matter. Okay. But for those that love your family, it matters a lot. With us today is Kip Tom, a family farmer 
from Leesburg. Where's Kip? Good, Kip. Hi, Kip. Who fears that his family's farming heritage? It's been a long time. How long, Kip? 187 years. That's peanuts, Kip. Wow, that's a long time. But that great heritage could come to an end because of the death tax or the estate tax and could make it impossible for him to pass that legacy to his wonderful family. We're not going to let that happen. We are not going to allow the death tax to steal away the American dream from these great, great families, many of which are in this room today. We will protect our farmers, our ranchers, and our small businesses, and we will make taxes simple, easy, and fair for all Americans. Okay? Third, we will cut taxes on American businesses to restore our competitive edge and create more jobs and higher wages for American workers. In Indiana, you have seen firsthand that cutting taxes on businesses makes your state more competitive and leads to more jobs and higher paychecks for your workers. Now, we want to do the same thing for America, making our country more competitive with other nations. And in many cases, those other nations are taking advantage of us in so many ways. They say they're friends, and perhaps they are. But believe me, I am renegotiating our trade deals, including NAFTA, including many other trade deals. And through regulation, all you have to do is look at the massive pipelines Dakota Access. You take a look, 48,000 jobs immediately approved. So we're letting that happen. But in terms of the tax and the tax strategy that Ronald Reagan used to create an economic boom in the 1980s, when our economy took off, the middle class thrived, and the family income of all families was increasing more and more, and it was a beautiful sight to behold. Since then, other nations have adopted, unfortunately, our playbook and ran it even better than we did. And I shouldn't say even better, because we didn't run it well at all, and we let other nations come in and take advantage of us and take our jobs away and take our businesses out. And we're stopping that, and you see it right here, what we've done. Today, our total business tax rate is 60 percent higher than our average foreign competitor in the developed world. That's not good. We have surrendered our competitive edge to other countries, but we're not surrendering anymore. We're not surrendering anymore. Under our framework, we will dramatically cut the business tax rate so that American companies and American workers can beat our foreign competitors and start winning again. We will reduce the corporate tax rate to no higher than 20 percent. That's way down from 35 and 39, which is substantially below the average of other industrialized nations. This is a revolutionary change, and the biggest winners will be the everyday American workers as jobs start pouring into our country as companies start competing for American labor, and as wages start going up at levels that you haven't seen in many years. When our companies move to other countries, it's our loyal American workers who get hurt. And when companies stay in America and come to America, it's our wonderful workers who reap the rewards. And I just left the United Nations last week, and I was told by one of the most powerful leaders of the world that they are going to be announcing in the not-too-distant future five major factories in the United States between increasing 
and new five. You'll be hearing about that very soon. And I said, thank you very much. And he said, you know what? It's starting to happen in the United States. It's starting to happen. So I just wanted to let you know that. I promised I wouldn't say who. I'll keep my word, okay? Unless you force me. <laughs> Members of both parties, it happens to be in the automobile industry, that's a good industry. <laughs> Members of both parties should agree that we need a tax code that keeps jobs in our country and brings jobs back to our country. And for the millions of small businesses and farms that file their taxes as sole proprietors, S-corporations or partnerships, we will cap the tax rate they pay at 25 percent, much lower. Big difference. This will be the lowest top marginal income tax rate for small and mid-sized businesses in this country in more than 80 years. To give businesses even more reason to boost their investment in America, for the next five years, our framework will allow to fully write off, listen to this, the cost of equipment in the year they buy it. That is big. And that's instead of having to take deductions and deduct the cost over a long period of time. Now, that's called incentive. That's called incentive. This will be tremendously important to help American businesses afford the heavy industrial machinery and other capital investments they need to grow big and grow strong. Joining us today is John Gannon, the owner of a custom wood fencing and deck construction company in Indianapolis. John is the father of nine children, and recently celebrated his 35th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, John. And John is in the fencing company, as you heard. And I'm just thinking, I have to mention this. You know, we have a fence around the White House. We have a fence around the White House. And they want to build a new fence. And I figured, you know, I'm pretty good at construction. I figured, I don't know, maybe a million maybe a million and a half. And this has been taking place over a long period of time, previous administrations. So I said, how much is the fence you're talking around the White House? Sir, the fence will cost approximately $50 million. I said, what? <laughs> I kid you not. And we have thousands of things like that, thousands. We're going to get it all down. But we think of that, $50 million. Now, I assume it's a strong fence, OK? <laughs> So, John, do you think you could do it for slightly less than uh, 50 million? I think he could take 49 off right now and would have, and he'd have plenty of profit, right? Right, John? It's crazy. It's crazy. Never understand it, but we're working on it. John says that a tax cut, like we're proposing, will make his business more competitive, allowing him to expand hire more workers, and raise wages for his current employees. Right, John? Also with us is Aaron Williams, a father of two who works in the field of information technology. Where's Aaron? Hello, Aaron. Hi. It's a good field. Aaron has seen the disastrous effects of high and just literally high corporate tax rates right up close and personal, as more and more high-tech jobs are shipped overseas. You've been watching it, Aaron, right? All over. Like millions of other Americans, Aaron wants to bring those jobs back to the United States. We're going to reduce the tax rate on American businesses so they can keep the jobs in America, Aaron, create jobs in America, compete for workers in America, and raise wages right here in America. You're going to be in a much different position, okay? Thank you. Tremendous incentives.
We want more products proudly stamped with those four beautiful words, made in the USA, right? Made in the USA. Finally, our framework encourages American companies to bring back the trillions and trillions of dollars in wealth that's parked overseas. Our current tax system, trillions. And by the way, for years I've been hearing it's two and a half trillion. So I've been hearing this for about five years, so I assume it's much more, right? But Democrats want to do it, and Republicans want to do it. For years, who doesn't want to do it? They want to bring the — but they can't do it because it's so restrictive and the taxes are so ridiculous, so they can't do it. So the money stays in other countries, and it's invested in other countries. We want to bring it back. But think of it. It's one of the few things Democrats want it and Republicans want it. So they both want it, and yet for years they haven't been able to do it. Now we're doing it. We're doing things. You know, it's one thing when we want a health care and they want a health care and there's a dispute, but here's something everybody wants and they can't do it. So you can tell you that there's a broken system in D.C., but we're getting it fixed rather, I think, rather rapidly. You'll be seeing that over the next few months. Our current tax system makes us one of the few developed nations in the world to punish our companies when they bring wealth earned overseas back into our country. We're punishing them for bringing the money back in. As a result, corporations have parked many trillions of dollars in foreign countries, and many have incorporated abroad in order to avoid our punitive tax system altogether. And some companies actually leave our country because they have so much money overseas, so much, it's an incredible amount, that they move the company to get their money. We're going to let them bring the money back home. Our framework will stop punishing companies for keeping their headquarters in the United States. We're punishing companies under our codes for being in the United States. We will impose a one-time low tax on returning money that is already offshore so that it can be brought back home to America where it belongs and where it can be put to work and work and work. The framework I've just described represents a once-in-a-generation opportunity to reduce taxes, rebuild our economy, and restore America's competitive edge, finally. And I have to say, just before coming here, we released some of the details of the tax and the tax reform and the tax cuts. And it has really received tremendous, tremendous reviews. And if Senator Donnelly doesn't uh, approve it, because, you know, he's on the other side, we will come here, we will campaign against him like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I think they're going to approve it. I think we'll have, actually, I think we'll have Numerous Democrats come across, because it's the right thing to do. These reforms will be a dramatic change from a failed tax system that encourages American businesses to ship jobs to foreign countries that have much lower tax rates. That's what we can't do. Our competitors have much lower tax rates, but no longer. My administration strongly rejects this offshoring model and we have embraced the new model. It's called the American model. <laughs> Under the American model, we are reducing burdens on our businesses as long as they do business in our country. That's what we want. We want them to do business in our country, not to leave our country like a number of firms from Indiana. Some made some great promises to me, but those promises are only being partially kept because they're incentivized 
to leave, but now they're going to be incentivized to stay. And if that doesn't work, then we'll get even tougher than that, okay? We want our companies to hire and grow in America and to raise wages for American workers and to help rebuild American cities and towns. That is how we will all succeed together and grow together as one team, one people, and one American family. We want it to happen here. Tax reform has not historically been a partisan issue, and it does not have to be a partisan issue today. I really believe we're going to have numerous Democrats come over and sign because it's the right thing to do. I believe that it's the right thing to do, and I know many of them, and they're telling me it is the right thing to do. President Reagan's tax cuts were passed with significant bipartisan majorities at a time when there was a Democrat majority in the House and a Democrat speaker, Tip O'Neill. Before that, Democrat President John F. Kennedy championed tax cuts that surged the economy and massively reduced unemployment. As President Kennedy very wisely said, the single most important fiscal weapon available to strengthen the national economy is the federal tax policy. The right kind of tax cut at the right time, at the right time, this is the right time, is the most effective measure that this government could take to spur our economy forward. That was Senator, that was President Kennedy. My fellow Americans, this is the right tax cut, and this is the right time. Democrats and Republicans in Congress should come together, finally, to deliver this giant win for the American people and begin middle-class miracle. It's called a middle-class miracle, once again. It's also called a miracle for our great companies a miracle for the middle class, for the working person. I truly believe that many Democrats want to support our plan, and with enough encouragement from the American people, they will find the courage to do what is right for our great country. But they'll only do it if you, the American people, make your voices heard. Only if you tell Congress to give us a tax code that puts American jobs first. And that's what we're doing. <laughs> History has proven time and time again that there is no power on Earth more awesome than the will of the American people. That is why today I am asking all Americans, Republican, Democrat, independent, to join with me and with each other to demand tax reform that will truly, truly, truly make America great again. <laughs> call your congressmen, call your senators, let them know you're watching. Let them know you're waiting. Tell them that today is the day for decision, that now is the time to heal this self-inflicted economic wound, and that with their action, the future will belong to all of us. If you demand it, the politicians will listen. They will answer, and they will act. And someday, many years from now, our children and our grandchildren will remember this moment in history as the time when ordinary Americans took control of their destiny and chose a future of American patriotism, prosperity, and pride. With your help, and your voice, 
We will bring back our jobs. We will bring back our wealth. And for every citizen across this land, we will bring back our great American dreams. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. Thank you. Thank you. And now we're going to go to Roy Moore's full speech after winning the nomination for the Senate. He defeated Luther Strange recently in a GOP upset. And many, many radio and TV stations censored portions of this speech because of his references to God and even cut out early. So we are going to run the entire speech unedited. And here it is, Roy Moore, the new senator of Alabama. Steve Bannon. On Business Buzz. Thank you for coming. That is really an outstanding man. I can tell you he is an outstanding man. He gave me more encouragement than anybody this whole time, and I talked to him once on the telephone and once in person. He's a wonderful person. Phil Robertson? Wow. You know, I heard something about Phil Robertson. I think he's gone, so I can tell it. He's not here now. Um, you know, there were some guys come down, a lawyer came down from up north, New York, big guy. And he was gonna do some duck hunting. And so he got near Mr. Robertson's properties and he shot duck and it fell over in the field. And so he said to himself, I guess I'd go over the field, over the fence and get my duck. But he didn't know it was Mr. Robertson's property. And so he started over and he picked up his duck and here comes Phil Robertson now with a shotgun. And he said, what are you doing? He said, the lawyer said, well, I'm getting my duck. Phil Roberts says, that ain't your duck. That's my duck. That's my field. And he didn't know who Phil Robertson was, of course. And he said, hey, look, man. I, oh, man, he says, I am a rich New York lawyer. I've got a big firm. I could sue you. I could take your farm, your gun, and everything you got. Of course, he didn't know Phil Robertson. He probably had more than <laughs> lawyer did. But Phil Robertson just said, uh, well, you ain't in New York. You're down here. And we don't do things that way. And the lawyer said, what do you mean you don't do things that way? He said, well, we don't go to court down here. We got a three-kick rule. <laughs> and the lawyer says, what do you mean a three-kick rule? I've never heard of that. And Phil said, well, it's easy. I get three kicks, you get three kicks, I get three kicks, and the first one who quits loses. And the lawyer was a big, strong guy, and he looked at Phil, and he says, I think I can take this guy. But he didn't know Phil Robinson. So Phil Robinson said, okay, I go first. So Phil hauled off and kicked him right you know where. And he bent over in pain, and he come up, and Phil Robinson more agile than he looks. He came up with a snap kick to his chin and knocked him on his back. And the lawyer's thinking he was about dead The Phil walked over and kicked him in the side. And he thought he was going to die, but the guy started feeling good. And so he got a smile on his face because it was his turn. He got up and he said, okay, farmer, it's my turn. And Phil Robertson said, oh no, I quit, you can get your duck. <laughs> Well, we're in Alabama, and in Alabama, for the rest of the world to hear, we dare defend our rights. We don't stop kicking. This is a very important time. I think there was a guy here I wanted to see. There he is, right over here in this corner. Y'all see this guy with the ribbons on? If you can't see, you gotta see this man. I, I, want you, I don't want to move him around a bunch. He's over 90. But I want to kick him because I tell you, he's been through it. You know, he said the Pledge of Allegiance. And he, didn't he do a good job? And if you notice, he was standing 93 years old. And you know why he's standing? Because this man has fought for his country before you were born. Yeah. 
Uh, let me ask this. Is there anybody here that was in the Army in 1941? Anybody? He was. From South Alabama, he went into the Army and was shipped over to the Philippines before the Japanese came. And in 1942, the Japanese came. And after he killed about thousands, they got him. And they marched him across the Philippines, the Bataan Death March. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. You know how many people are living? Not very many. He was in the Bataan Death March. They marched him back. They took him to Japan. He stayed in a concentration camp for the rest of the war. He risked his life many times. Once they nearly cut his head off for putting his hands in his pocket. This man is a hero. This man knows. Give him a hand. But I want to tell you what's special about this man. He's 93 years old. And he stood for the Pledge of Allegiance. He stood when the National Anthem was, and he saluted and put his hand over his heart. He stood. We're missing that today in our country. We're missing that today. And they talk about the law. You know, the law requires you, says you should stand and put your hand over your heart. That's in the 36 USC 301. Last amended in 2008. That's the law, United States Code. When are we going to get back to the law? We shouldn't need the law when we've done what he's done. We are living fat and happy. But hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. Back in the days of Israel, it could be said of America. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of America, for the Lord hath the controversy with the inhabitants of this land. Because there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing, they break forth and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that liveth therein shall languish. We've forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God who made us. We've got to go back to God. We've got to go back to a moral base. You know, it's a great honor for me, and you put yourself in my shoes. I'm just a country boy from North Alabama. And to have people like Steve Bannon, Nigel Farage, Saran Stacy, and Phil Robertson, and others who have talked to you, to have them come long distances. And I'm not forgetting Senator Tripp Pittman, give him a hand. He's been very. But it's an honor for me. But I'm going to tell you, I would gladly have declined an honor to which I find myself unequal. I have not the calmness and impartiality which the infinite importance of this occasion demands. I will not deny the charge of my enemies that resentment for the accumulated injuries of our country and an ardor for a glory rising to enthusiasm may deprive me of that accuracy of judgment and expression which men of cooler passions might possess. So let me beseech you then to hear me with caution, to examine without prejudice and to correct the mistakes into which I may be hurried by my zeal. That was Samuel Adams on August 1st, 1776, when he's explaining to the people of the country why they even did the declaration. Why they did it. And we've forgotten. We've forgotten it's all about God. We have explored the temple of royalty, he said. And found that the idol that we bow down to has eyes that see not, ears that hear not our prayers, and a heart like the nether millstone. But we have this day restored the sovereign 
To whom alone all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven and with a perpetuous eye beholds his subjects, assuming that freedom of thought and dignity of self-direction which he bestowed upon them. From the rising to the setting sun, may his kingdom come. We need to go back and learn our history. You know, today there's a big dispute about taking down monuments, about forgetting our history. We can't forget our history. If we forget our history, we will repeat it. America is great because America has overcome many, many problems. And when we take an oath to that flag, Pledge of Allegiance, or when we stand up and sing the national anthem, we should be proud that we live in the greatest country of the world. We should appreciate people like Colonel Frazier. You don't have to tell him to stand at 93, he stands. Stand therefore, as it says in Ephesians. He gets to stand for his country and he still loves his country. I'm guilty of treason toward my country and an act of disloyalty toward the majesty of heaven which I revere above all earthly kings. You know, I'm running for the United States Senate. Tomorrow is a very, very important time. This election is critical to this nation. For whatever reason, God has put me in this election at this time, and all the nation is watching. Washington is watching to see what the people of Alabama do tomorrow. Do we defend our rights and those of our children and grandchildren? Will we take a stand against Washington establishment who's trying to come down here and buy this? election with 30 million dollars? Yes. Will we send them a message? Yes. Very clear. Yes. Alabama can't be bought. Yes. Alabama will take a stand. And I'm going to tell you, when you do, when you do, everybody will see it. Everybody will be encouraged to take them on and stop the people that are trying to keep their jobs up there and do nothing. In November 2016, when Donald Trump was elected, everybody was filled with hope. Hope that we were going to have something happen in Washington. And what have we had? Riots, demonstrations, protests. Nothing has happened. We've had bills, hundreds of bills, 500 in 2016. Hello, 200, I'm understanding, in 2017, and how many have gone through the Senate? Because the Senate won't move. They don't want to move. If they did, how hard is it to repeal Obamacare? It takes a vote, yes or no. Quite frankly, Obama didn't care. And neither does your government when it tries to take over an industry that should be left to the free enterprise system upon which this nation was founded. The biggest obstacle of free enterprise is the United States government, which imposes regulations, taxes. Now listen, I know a little bit about the issues in this case, and I could talk to you all night about the issues. I could talk to you about DACA. Deferred action on childhood arrivals. What was that? What law was that? Why was it unlawful? You see, the DREAM Act didn't pass. Development, relief, education of alien minors. It didn't pass. So, Janet Napolitano, director of the Homeland Security Department, decides to issue a memo. A memo. And she issues a memo that we're not going to take action. That is her job. That was her job. They're supposed to take action on this, but they didn't. Now, you see, who's to blame for this? The president? No, he didn't do it. 
He let it be done. Congress did not stand up and impeach her for trying to violate the law. Political. That goes back to checks and balances. And if we'll go back to understanding our Constitution, we wouldn't have the problem. The freemen of America did not wait to usurp power had strengthened itself by exercise and entangled the question in precedence. They saw all the consequences in the principle and they avoided the consequences by denying the principle. We revere this lesson too much soon to forget it. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. With home mortgage rates still near historic lows, now is a great time to buy or refinance. Michael Humes is your one-stop mortgage lender. Michael Humes and his knowledgeable staff are well-versed in a wide variety of loan types, including FHA, Fannie Mae, USDA, HomePath, and HARP. For a free evaluation of your mortgage needs, call him, 530-624-7942. That's 530-624-7942. Be sure to listen to Michael's Mortgage Market Update every Wednesday at 2.30 on Your Home Today. This is Michael Humes, Mortgage Specialist at Network Mortgage, located at 155 East 3rd Avenue. Anonymous license 230273, BRE license 01250862, employed by Network Mortgage, BRE license 01840139, NMLS license 358237, equal housing opportunity. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. Religious conservatives are cheering two new Trump administration directives that deal directly with religious rights. First, HHS announced that more employers could opt out of no-cost birth control for workers. Then the Justice Department issued a new policy saying that religious freedom concerns could override LGBT anti-discrimination protections. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders. The president believes that the freedom to practice one's faith is a fundamental right in this country. Attorney General Jeff Sessions wrote that no one should be forced to choose between living out his or her faith and complying with the law. Ray Clugston, the White House. Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council, said President Trump's demonstrating his commitment to undoing the anti-faith policies of the previous administration and restoring true religious freedom. A hurricane warning has been issued for a stretch of the U.S. Gulf Coast from Grand Isle, Louisiana, to the Alabama-Florida border. Tropical Storm Nate will make its way through the Gulf of Mexico, and Alabama Emergency Management Director Brian Hastings says Nate should soon be a hurricane. Tropical Storm Nate, soon to be Hurricane Nate, is forecast to increase in speed and move north into the Gulf of Mexico late tonight, early Saturday, strengthening to a hurricane prior to landfall. The storm's already caused havoc in parts of Central America, killing at least 21 people. The White House declined to clarify a cryptic warning from the president. If White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders knows what the president meant when he declared this might be the calm before the storm, she's not saying. I'm simply saying that all options are on the table as they have been, and we're not going to announce what actions we'll be taking until that moment comes. Sanders added the U.S. is bringing maximum diplomatic pressure on North Korea. So it's them, she was asked. No, she said. There's Iran and other bad actors. She did not specify who, adding the president does not want to lay out his game plan. I'm Warren Levinson. This is SRN News. Tens of thousands of Christians are gathering in Washington, D.C. The event is called America's Tent of Meeting and will run from Friday night through Monday night on the National Mall.
KKXX Paradise 